Super Train episode 138. I'm your main host, Dan. Welcome to this short-lived TV show podcast. We cover the short-lived shows that never got enough love. Eventually, we will cover Super Train. In this episode, we are covering Tales of the Gold Monkey 16, Fresno Part 2, and The Middleman 10. So I think it's going to be a good time. I think you all enjoyed. I hope you enjoyed uh, Fresno. We, we've never done a a mini series before and i think it's a super fun one you can you can find that uh, some some kind soul has edited the whole schmageggy together on youtube it's like four hours and five minutes long so you can go on there and watch it and um enjoy it and be good to yourselves uh so now let me um play a little theme and let's go monkeys <laughs> of the gold monkey episode 16 cooked goose written by jay hugely directed by donald a bear march 4th 1983 and the basics of this one are um jake takes a honeymooning couple to an island in the middle of nowhere and they are attacked by some sort of jerks really um and his uh the uh the the, the uh, pilot is beaten up and his wife is abducted and they're mercenaries of some variety so jake and the gang uh go to try to find her and the princess gets involved and there is um a bit of trouble with corky uh, and corky may or may not have sort of destroyed part of the goose while he was drunk and not doing things right but there's a there's a bunch that goes on in this episode the, the, the main story is the kidnap bride looking for her but the secondary bit uh, which uh, is 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 just as important really is is the bit with corky um accidentally causing some trouble and um yeah we cover it pretty in depth so i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna hop on in and we'll give you a little blast we're on the other side cook goose episode 16 i believe so we're only i think we're about five or so episodes away from the end again not quite in the home stretch here but um but getting near it um i i know that um the, when, when the show aired it had decent ratings so at this point i don't think anyone watching it at home who was watching it regularly would have thought that this wouldn't go on for another season spoiler it doesn't go on for another season um but this is this is cooked goose this is an episode well you know you know what i'm not going to say anything i'm, I'm not i'm going to ask my friend Kristen hawes aka kiki writes first how are you doing um i'm feeling a little overdone dan how are you <laughs> about the same about the same um what um i and so i'm, I'm gonna ask um for some reason when i watched this episode i thought you might like this episode but then uh after the force of habit i have no i have no more opinions <laughs> what did you think of cook goose i really do like this episode quite a bit <laughs> because it has well, it has. I, I'm one of those horrible people that likes to watch my favorites in peril and also going through emotional trauma, and that's what we have here with Corky, my poor belo- beloved Corky, going through the the trauma of thinking oh, that he's yeah. responsible for mm-hmm. for what happens to the goose, 
and that he's going to leave and watching him go, you know, through, I mean, we'll talk about it, but the emotional, the emotional trauma he goes through. I just, I live off things like that. And, and it, it might explain why I'm such a bad person because we also have a whole lot of princess Koji yes. and I adore her. And there is something about a woman who is in power mm-hmm. and isn't afraid, afraid to wield that power yeah. and isn't afraid to be a little bit cruel and a little bit conniving. And it just, it makes me feel alive. And so <laughs> It's like two of my favorite. It was chocolate and peanut butter in this episode. The the circumstances surrounding the episode are none of my business. I just had those two things, <laughs> and I really, really enjoyed them. Stuff, um, stuff, stuff happened between the opening credits and the closing credits, but there were certain pinpoint focus yeah, moments. The, the, the catalyst for all of this is is whatever it is. But, um, yeah, I, I actually really did like this episode. What did you think of it? I did, too. Um, I, uh, the, um, uh, it, it starts off, and it says, uh, starring, uh, is it Sandra Curry? Yes. And Sandra Curry, she's been in a ton of stuff. She was probably in a magnum. I'm not going to mention that right now. But I know Sandra Curry from, in the early 70s or mid-70s, she was in uh, Policewoman, which is not as unnaughty as you think it might be. Mama's <laughs> Dirty Girls, Fugitive Lovers, which I adore, and the rather depressing, and I'm never going to watch it again, but for some reason I have it on Blu-ray, Teenage Seductress, <laughs> where she plays a young gal who befriends like a rich, I forget if he's an artist or an architect, and kind of begins a relationship with him. And it turns out that um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spoil it. So, so folks wanting to watch Teenage Seductress, hop ahead like 30 seconds. Turns out um, he's her dad, and he basically destroyed her mom, and so she's going to destroy him by having an affair with him. And the whole thing is so sordid, and I only watched it because I think I did like a, I flipped the coin. Should I watch this movie or that movie? And I said, let's try this one. And when I flip a coin and pick a movie, I don't go back. And I put on Teenage Seductress, and I... I don't recommend it, but some people love it. Some people love it. Did you wish you would have gone back? I wish I could have flipped the. Yeah, I wish I could. I wish that coin had gone in another. Where could my life had gone if? <laughs> if it, um, but uh, but she's she's great though. I mean, she is great though, and she she's wonderful. And you know, she's in a ton of stuff, and she's only in the beginning and ending of this. And um, her sort of dopey husband is in more of it, who I recognize from other things too. Um, but I, I would have preferred that she had been in it more often. Um, but but it's a great. This has, I mean, possibly my favorite scene so far is the scene where Jake is trying not to get angry at Corky, and Corky is just talking faster and faster and faster and faster, and suddenly they both sort of blow up at one another, and it's so like, it's so well done, it's so well done, and Corky he's 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 so good in it. Both of them are. Both of them are. All of them are. Sarah's standing by there. They're all so good. And um and you get that one great moment where um, which is which is kind of ignored, which is um um uh uh it's like um where Sarah Sarah turns to Jake and says I'm like now you tell me, did 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 Corky do this? And Jack barks once and they yell, Shut up at him. Did Corky do this? And you suddenly realize Jack just gave you the answer. Mm-hmm but but because they're they're so focused on each other that that you miss the uh you miss the answer was right there he didn't do it 
and they should listen to Jack. Um, but it's a, that scene is so great when he gets angrier and angrier and he starts smashing the beer bottle and saying, I broke the rule, I got drunk while working on the goo. It's so good and is, um, um, is, uh, I, I, I don't, um, I, I don't, this is, this is, I'm not meaning to sound like a jerk or disingenuous, but like, that's, that's like, um, that's almost, to me, that's close to like really great movie acting of the time. TV acting and movie acting are very different things. Um, and that's almost like a great moment where it's like, wow, that's like, that's like a powerful moment because you could feel it builds over the course of like three minutes. And when that happens, and Jake yells at him, you drink, and then he, he Corky starts smashing the bottle. It's so good. And then when Corky cleans himself up and he's going to leave, uh, he's uh, it's sad, and it's uh, I think overall it's it's a really sharp episode. You get to see, um, and you get the you get to ask yourself, it fades out, <laughs> but what do Jake and the princess do? In the bathtub together alone. If I if if I had a princess like that, who was had a samurai standing by, I would probably do anything she asked. And I can't say that Jake did, because we fade out. But I'm sure there's like a there's like a European version that has a little bit more of the scene. But but overall, I really like this episode. I think it's um. I, I think it's uh it, it it's not the way it brings in the princess is nice and the way like they think it's her doing it and then it's someone else and then you think who else is it and then the fact that the goose is out of commission so they have to take a boat there is nice and Corky leaving is is heartbreaking but then Sarah does some over the top stuff which is which is um fun I think to to kind of keep him there for just a little bit longer and um, it all ends up okay I thought it would. But um, I was a little worried for a couple moments there. So I think I think I think this is a, this is a really fine episode. Um, so so let's let's talk about Corky in this episode. I know you love Corky. Talk about Corky. Gush, go I crazy. I do. Yes. So it's what it is is that um, Jake needs to use the the goose, and it's going to take Corky half a day to fix what needs to be fixed on it. And so it's really late at night, and they're leaving it's like three in the morning mm-hmm. and they're they're leaving the monkey bar and the goose bursts into flames and we see corky is passed out by some crates on the dock and it looks like he's drunk mm-hmm. there's beer bottles everywhere and he smells of whiskey and all of this and so it looks like he he broke the rule the rule is he doesn't drink while he's working on the goose and it looks like that's what happened and his negligence caused the goose to burst into flames and corky believes that and Jake kind of believes that, but not really. But he's just so mad. And like you said, that scene where Corky's talking faster and faster, he's trying so hard to kind of like make Jake laugh or Jake just is, make him do yeah, something, do something. Yeah, because Jake is stewing about it. Mm-hmm. He won't give Corky an inch. And he's trying to be like, okay, but we're okay. This isn't, this happened, but we're okay. Yeah. We can fix this. And. Jake isn't giving him anything, and he and the yeah the blow up was great with him, you know bashing that that's beer bottle so, and everything. I, I didn't expect that when I when I saw that I thought wow that's, no he's really good he's a really good actor I mean I I, I knew he was from stuff I'd seen him but about that moment it's so dramatic and it's really quite powerful actually yeah and yeah. him yelling shut up at at Jack would, yes. he would never do that yeah and you can tell that's just how 
you know, distraught he is. And then when he is cleaning himself up and he's packing to go and Jake is, he realizes, you know, that no, there has to be another explanation. And he tries to get Corky to stay. And Corky shows a great amount of self-awareness that we don't normally see yes. because he's usually the, you know, happy-go-lucky. He's forgetful and, you know, he really wants a beer and that mm. sort of thing. And, you know, he's lovable. He's very mm. lovable. And in that moment, he's like, you don't need to take care of me. I'm a grown man. And you kind of forget that because he is kind of mm-hmm. naive and a bit childish sometimes. And then he later says something about – he calls himself old booze brain. Yes, yes. And it, yeah, and yeah. it hurts to have him say that to because, you know, he's he's forgetful because he drinks so much. And you kind of wonder what kind of trauma that he went through that yeah. he yeah. he feels the need to obliterate himself. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he he knows he knows who he is, and he knows that he forgets things, and you know, and he truly in that moment believes that that Jake would be better off without him, yeah. and it's just so heartbreaking because yeah. it ends with it starts with him trying to give a baseball, a signed baseball back to Jake, yes, and the, he won't take it. Yeah, the Duluth. Uh, yeah, yeah, the Duluth team, and then it ends with him throwing the ball at tossing the ball he didn't really throw it but he tossed the ball to jake and says you need to give this to somebody who doesn't screw up mm-hmm. and it just rips your heart out mm-hmm. and just throws it on the ground and then he goes and says i'm gonna go sleep by the lagoon until the clipper gets here so he's not even he doesn't even feel worthy of staying in the hotel yeah it's just like here now we're gonna do the macarena on your heart <laughs> because we don't want you to feel anything it's heartbreaking yeah yeah. And then we see him, and he's dedicated. He's stubborn, yeah. and he's going to leave. Mm-hmm. And you get this really great moment because he's in the monkey bar. The Clippers announce that they're loading up. And Sarah, as he's leaving, you know, basically accuses him of knocking her up and is leaving her <laughs> in trouble. <laughs> and it's incredibly over the top, but it gets everybody else's attention. And another guy kind of steps yeah, in. One and he's guy. Like, I gonna? love that guy. <laughs> Yes. Are you going to leave her? And then Willie comes in and he's like, oh, well, you know, the one thing, the the way to get out of this and, and do right and get, you know, right in the eyes to marry her. And then the generator goes out. Well, he has to stay to fix the generator. So he gets the refund, the ticket, refund on the ticket. And it all works out, you know. And you find out that Gushy cut the power mm-hmm. to make the generator go out to help make Corky stay. Yeah. And you realize when Sarah kind of gives a wink to, to Willie, they were all in on it yeah. <laughs> to get him to stay. And it's just, you love that they love him so much that mm-hmm. they're not going to give up without a fight. Yeah. Cause if he leaves, he'll disappear yes. and they're not going to give up on Corky. Yeah. And so he has to, he's forced to stay two weeks. And so there's a, there's a, an opportunity for him to make up with Jake, but it's just, it's just so good to see Corky. It, it, it's different. I yeah. mean, he's he's the same Corky, but he's also just a little more sober and a little more serious. Yeah, and we don't usually get that. And it's just it's just really it's really good. The whole the whole Corky angle in he's, there he's is just really yeah. good. It's it's heartbreaking to the extent that when it comes to the end and he makes up with Jake, that you are you're truly relieved that they're that he's going to stay and they're going to be friends again. It's it's interesting because it's almost like um, there there have been a couple uh, middleman episodes where. What's going on in the like the zombie fish mm-hmm. is is the is the main focus 
but it's not really. It's art crawl is is the is the main is really the main focus and and you know and and the main characters and this this is interesting because this is long before they did stuff like that on shows like this um, and adventure shows the focus is well actually I, the the last episode kind of threw us a bit with the the nun and the pilot um, turning into Hepburn and Tracy for 25 30 minutes um, but but this this one it, it's it really is like when they're when they're with Princess Koji and all that stuff is happening and then they go to the island they learn who did all this um, which may or may not be a little suspect plot wise I haven't figured that out yet um, you're still kind of in the back of your mind thinking what about Corky is Corky gonna be okay and that's and that's I think the sign of a that's the sign of a good show that even when at their height of the, uh, the height of the dramatics, there's something else sort of on the side involving the personal uh, life, personal feelings of the characters, where we're like, oh, what's happening? Is Corky, Corky going to be okay? I just, I just, I just want him to be okay. Um, now I know we could talk about Corky for it out. We could do a Corky minisode. Um, okay. The many facets of Corky, but I want to. Um, um, I mean, what 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 do you think of the? Let's go, go to some Princess Koji stuff for a while. What do you think? Like, give me, is the hot tub scene when we see Princess Koji actually sort of get angry at Jake and and them for the first time? Like, normally with Jake, she's one hundred percent like, yeah. But um, and I will say this: Princess Koji is the mistress of the side boob. <laughs> Even in the closing credits, when they do the random shots from the episode, there's one with her, and it's like, that, I'm sure if I saw that at the age of 10, I would have not known what, I would have just gone, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And my and I would just, my mom would have walked in, and I, just, I would have just been on the floor, like in a fetal position. She's like, damn, what just happened? I said, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but 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 what do you what do you think about the princess code? Because they actually she she they actually do kind of they they don't mean to anger her, but they're they're trying to help a friend, um, and they anger her. Yeah, because well, it it appears that Princess Koji's mercenaries kidnapped Alan's new bride, mm-hmm. new new wife. And um, so they go to discuss that with her, and Louis goes because he's French magistrate, and this happened in his jurisdiction. And yeah, she gets angry at being if, insinuating that she would be involved mm-hmm. in such a sloppy plot. Yeah. And Alan talks out of turn several times. That's really where they get in trouble, and that's when the piranhas come out <laughs> because he talks out of turn. And the thing is, is it's kind of not fair because he's talking out of turn. Louis just in the tub with him. I don't think he should have gotten yes. chewed on. Yeah, yeah. And there's some great, great, great piranha stuff here and there. Um, there are two sumo wrestlers who are fighting on like a little floating dock thing, and the one that loses falls in and gets eaten by piranhas. And whatever, I think piranhas, obviously, obviously think of piranha and stuff like that, piranha to the spawning. But it's also, I think it's You Only Live Twice is the one I think where Blow is. I think that's the one where Blofeld has the... Um, the little stream like running through um, his hideout that has the piranha in it. I could be wrong though. And like a lady slides down the when the when the um, walkway goes away, she slides into it, and you just see her getting piranhaed up. Yeah, but I, I do lo- like I like that she fretted over the digestion of her piranhas <laughs> because Toto hadn't felt fed them for two weeks, and she's like, well, yeah. now they're far too hungry, and they might 
gorge themselves and and hurt their stomachs. Yes. And I'm like, I love an animal lover. <laughs> <laughs> and I love how he he when he's pouring the water in uh, with the piranhas in the bowl, he's pouring it at just like the perfect speed where he could do this for like 20 minutes. Yeah. Like there, there's enough water in there where he could just have them sitting on the end of their seats. And I, I will say the, the one thing, I, I don't know how you're watching this, but I think the aspect ratio is slightly off. It It, it is. Yes. I think it was probably fine in 1983. I think so. On your 1983 television. But in ours, we knew that the uh, nudity wasn't as nude yes. as they insinuated. Might be, might be more jean or jean shorty. Than we think. Yeah. I, 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 I've seen undergarments. Yeah, we actually, the sumo wrestlers are more nude than the guys yeah. are in, in the hot tub. Because, yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those things where, like, the um, the the aspect ratio on, on like, on, like, the old picture two TVs there, they can be, so, they can, they, they would have been able to just do it perfectly for that. But we're watching it on a widescreen TV, presumably, I'm, I'm, I, I don't imagine you're watching it on a picture two TV. We're watching it on no. one, the 178 <laughs> widescreen and sometimes the aspect ratio is just a little bit off and this it looks like it's it should be like one three three but it's just like a little little more expansive than it should be and um so you see that they are in fact wearing jeans and um or jean shorts or, or something and um but i don't know the princess koji is no, I think she got her baths out. She, I th- she doesn't <laughs> seem to be wearing any jeans. I think, I think, yeah, and, um, and um, and 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 again, I I I guess I'll ask, um, uh, what 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 was the movie where there was a there was a fictional character and he had only lived in, or was it a TV show where he had only lived in fictional worlds, and when he there's a scene where he like goes to bed with a woman and then like. He, he looks around waiting for it to fade to black. And he doesn't know what to do because it isn't fading to black. And he says, right about here when we go into bed is where it fades to black. And she's like, well, then what? Well, then it's the next morning. And she says, well, that's not the way it works in the real world. And he's like, well, I don't know what to do if it doesn't fade to black. And so I'm, I'm wondering when you see it fade to black when Princess... What is that from? That's from something. Uh, when Princess Koji goes in the hot tub. And she, I mean, the last thing we see is Jake kind of looks a little worried, and she leans in to give him a kiss, and um, or at least get very close to him. I, I forget which of the two, and then it fades to black. I'm not going to ask you what you think happens, but I'd like you to think what you think happens, and maybe it will appear on the sound waves of my MP3 file. <laughs> I mean, because right? I mean, right? I mean, I mean, something must happen, right? I mean, because if if he if he said to her, "No, princess, no," that would have been the next scene. The next scene would have been her getting very offended. But because that yeah. doesn't happen, it's like a James Bond. It's like, okay, I think we all know what happened there. Well, or am I, I would, crazy? I would, I would think because you know the insinuation is that. She's mm. not going to say no to her. Mm. But then that also insinuates that she would do something, but maybe that this is just another power play. Oh, yes, true. Yeah. To remind him who is in charge and that she's not going to be charmed because Louie and, and Jake both kind of charmed her a little bit into helping them mm-hmm. by saying, well, you know, if you if you 
don't take care of this, then the French government might think that you were responsible mm -hmm. and there's nothing we can do if that happens. You'll lose your shipping license and all that and then she doesn't Not want to true, do that. Yeah, yeah. So they, I'm thinking it was probably more of another power play. Just mm -hmm. getting in the tub with him while they're both nude is enough. Yes. But, you know, encroaching on his personal space. I'm mm -hmm. thinking that was that's all that it's was. A, I, 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 I sort of thought that a bit too, but then I thought, but why, why fade it out then? Why not show... Because they've had moments before when they've been really close, and he's kind of been, mm, I don't know, and she's... I mean, maybe he did that. Maybe he was like, I don't know, princess, and she was like, I like that you do that, Jake Cutter. Let's just have a nice bath. Yeah. But it's... it's it, I, I just think because it because it goes to sort of fades out, that it, it to me, the implication is that, I don't know, maybe they just smooched a couple times. Maybe she was just like, I just like smooching. I'm, just, I'm in it for the smooching. Well, I just I just think that because she is so power oriented mm -hmm. that I mean obviously she she would really like to enjoy Jake in yes. in the biblical yes. sense. Yes. But she's also very much the cat and he is the mouse. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I feel like yeah, she wouldn't just romp with him in the hot tub then the fun's over. Yeah, true. You know, true. she mm -hmm. wants to put him in in her perfect position before that happens and mm -hmm. that wasn't that situation. Okay, yeah. Okay, so maybe maybe a, a smooch or two and then uh let's take a bath. Yeah. Kind of thing. And, okay. Or or let's let's join the other gentleman, you yes. know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, I, I I could go over that. It's it's a tricky scene because since it's never mentioned again you you can take it any way you want to take it. And history tells us that you get two nudies in a bath and they're about to smooch. Well, I don't know. Unless unless someone throws a you know, a toaster or an electric device in there, there's probably gonna be some more than smooching. But but I th I think I think I think you're probably right. I I bet she probably leaned in and maybe 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 gave him a smooch and maybe he smooched back because he was nude in the hot tub, but then she probably just sat back and said, let's just sit and enjoy the tub for a minute, and then we'll go meet up with everyone again. And Jake was like, okay. That's interesting. I, I, I guess I would like to then see, in a future season, a Princess Koji episode. I would love a Princess Koji episode. Wouldn't that be great? Just just to see... Yeah, we... Ko Koji and Toto going on an adventure. Yes. Oh, fantastic. And you could have, because this was around the time of uh, Toto's fourth album, you could have like um, <laughs> uh, Rosanna or something from that album play, or Hold the Line. I know that's not from that album, I don't think, but you could have a Toto song play. That would be fantastic. Hold the line. Yeah, let's do this. And they're in slow-mo, like approaching the bad guys, and she's like got her fist raised and he's got his sword out oh man I love it. um uh so what what else do you have on this what did you what did you think of the um what, what did you think of the, the husband the husband um yeah when you first watch it like you go along with it and then the second time you watch it you're like oh no i can see where he sleaze yes you, yeah. you can mm -hmm. you can see those points but when you first watch it you're like yeah he's He's overwrought. He's upset. Mm -hmm. He yes. just wants to get his wife back. And you kind of buy that. Especially because it's James Hansen and um, I know him best from F Troop. Oh, and sure. the character he plays on F Troop is, is very lovable. And so you kind of go with that. But mm -hmm. then he turns out to be sleaze. And you're like, yeah, I kind of saw that coming. Yeah. You know, you, yeah. you're kind of not too surprised. Because 
there's debate at the very beginning when they find the knife on whether or not it's Princess Koji actually behind this because Jake says it doesn't feel right. And even at one point, Sarah admits it doesn't feel right. And mm-hmm. yeah, I says, certainly yeah. knew that Princess mm-hmm. Koji wouldn't be involved in such shenanigans. But um, but you can't figure out who else would be involved. Mm-hmm. And the farther you go along and then it, it's revealed that it's him. And you're like, yeah, I, I, yeah, I can see it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and I, yeah, he, he was scuzz. Yeah, yeah, super scuzz. He, yeah, I, I had that moment where about um, somewhere in there where, I, where I just, I just did a quick pass through my head of, now wait a minute, if that that Corky didn't torch the plane, and I don't think it was Princess Koji, so who else could it have been? And I was like, hmm. There's only one other person I could think of that it might have. Been. I'm actually watching the scene right now where she's going in the hot tub with him. I think she, yeah, she's 100% doing the um, the power play kind of thing. But um, uh, the camera's kind of floating around the hot tub, and she's getting a little closer to him. Oh, she puts hand. Oh, she goes to kiss him. She's about to. Oh, and oh no, it doesn't fade to black. It cuts to a guy drinking a beer. <laughs> As you do. So okay, so I guess um, hmm, I guess maybe maybe since it doesn't fade to black, it's implied that literally anything could happen. A fade mm-hmm. to black would be, oh boy, um, but but I think a cut um, to something like that means um, the guy grabbing the beer is that a metaphor for something? <laughs> well, that could also constitute a power play. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. Um, but anyway, um, yes. Yeah, so, so so not not to not to spoil it for everyone, but we're we're gonna we're gonna spoil it. Um, but but yeah, it turns out the husband is doing this to get a bunch of money from his wife because she's rich. And my thing my thing with that is that well there is that there is that great scene where they seem to decapitate. Oh yes. <laughs> is that it's because it's it's they they Koji Koji sends um, T- Toto and 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 Louis and Jake to be uh, well Louis and Jake to be decapitated by Toto and as. Um, the husband and Koji are sort of in the foreground. You see them being decapitated way in the background. And it's done almost casually. Like, boop, boop. And you're like, is that happening? What's happening? What's going on right there? And then and then when they give the explanation, it isn't 100% convincing, but they're not decapitated, so I'm fine. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take yes, that explanation because exactly. your heads are still attached. Exactly, but it's really it's really interestingly done because it's not like it's not like a suspenseful scene where the um <coughs> pardon me where the um where the blade goes up in the air. It's literally they're just like in the background and it's like and it just happens. And you're like Did that is that happening? That's happening. Wow, okay. Uh but but the um yeah, the, the 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 one tricky thing is I couldn't figure out from listening to the dialogue, it, because it's it sounds like, but I guess the husband is lying. It sounds like from some of the dialogue that they didn't realize that Jake was going to take them, where he took them. Because he says I'm like, wow, I didn't realize it was J- Jake was going to take us so far away from civilization. Ah, uh, this is, uh, f- uh, feels a little dangerous. And but and and then Jake when he describes how he took them out there, it isn't quite. I surprised him, but it almost is. So it's weird because the dialogue teeters on. He surprised them when he took them to this place, but it doesn't actually say it. So that means that the husband could pull his scheme. But well, but but I I the, the reason why uh, but but when I 
Yeah, but it's it's tricky because it's, it's it doesn't say it, but it almost says it. Well, my my, my interpretation of that was because he orchestrated this for his wife because his wife wanted to go be on a basically a deserted island for a mm-hmm. week for their honeymoon, and I'm like, well, that's why I wouldn't be marrying you. I'm not going camping. <laughs> but so he orchestrated this for her. So I think the husband knew. Okay. Where they were going, and that's how he could orchestrate all of this. She didn't realize. Okay. Because he, he's talking about how this was supposed to be, or at least maybe she didn't ask for this. Maybe, but he, mm-hmm. you know, he did lie quite a bit. So he might have told Jake she wanted this. This is her dream scenario. And again, we would be divorced. We're not going camping. <laughs> um, but he, he, he might have told Jake that this is, we're trying to make her dream. Okay come true so yeah he he orchestrated it enough that he knew where they were going to be she didn't know this was a surprise for her okay yeah because what i what i because i i I was writing out random bits of dialogue when i watched again right before we recorded and it sort of implied that this is jake has taken folks here previously yeah that's the implication i got and and the the way he says it but then he's prop because he's a jerk he's probably lying he does say something on lines of I didn't think Jake was going to bring us this far out away from yeah. civilization, which makes me think he didn't know they were going to be this far out too. Um, but then also he could be a big fat liar. So so um, and, and and two they mentioned the um, that he has the uh, you know I feel like it's a shotgun wedding because you've never put your shotgun down. So yeah, you, you, yeah, <laughs> I, th- I think I think you're right. I think he 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 must have. Yeah, Jake must have said, "Here's where we're going," but but it, it's tricky because for a second I thought when I got to the end, the first thing I thought was, "Did he know that they were going to that island to plan this?" And I can't say for one hundred percent certain that he did, but I, I I'll say I'll say eighty percent certain that he did. Yeah, I w- I would think he did. Um. So what what else uh, what else on this one? We got some pirate guys that they beat up. We've got, um, I just have here, pants. I don't know if they're wearing pants in those scenes. They could just have towels around them on the hot tub, but they well, look like they're wearing it, pants. it looked to me like, almost like they were wearing, um, well, like, boxer briefs. But I don't think they oh, had yeah. boxer briefs back in 83. I don't know what they were wearing, but they were, they were, and they were different colored. Everybody yes. had different color on. The one guy is like, almost an was, orange, kind yeah. of, and... Because Jake, yeah, Jake was black. Yeah, it was very distracting. Once I noticed that, I was like, yep, that's probably the most I've ever looked at Brody McDowell's bottom half in my life. <laughs> and, and but you, I was distracted by yes, his, and, his swim trunks there. And you know when you watch it that that is an aspect ratio issue because if it just happened once for a second it would be okay, but it happens on numerous shots, and at one point, Jake has at least, like, two inches of yeah. whatever, and it's like, yeah, this is an aspect ratio. There's no way in heck someone like Donald Belisario would have sat there watching this episode going, I'll just leave that in. Yeah, no one, no, no one's going, when, when the when the leading good-looking guy stands up naked, no one's going to be looking near his crotch. Yeah, no. No, no, yeah. no. That's a... it's, especially with the, some of the dialogue that they had going on and the way they were acting. They were obviously like supposed to be covering themselves. Yes, yes. Because at one point, <laughs> Princess Koji says, she talks to Louis and she's like, a shy Frenchman? And he says, not shy, discreet. <laughs> yes, yes. 
Um, but that's as as always when, when we talk about something like this, folks. This is not. Um, th- this is like. Um, like if you've ever seen a Mystery Science Theater three thousand episode, like uh, um, Escape from the Bronx with the late great Henry Silva in it, there's a scene in that they're watching the movie was shot two three five and they're watching it one three three, and there's a scene where um, Lloyd Wangler or whatever the heck his character's name is is sitting in the back of a car with like the president of the corporation that's having the Bronx destroyed, and in the movie. It's one big two three five shot with one person on one side, one person way on the other. But because it's pan and scan, you just get these random cuts from one guy to another guy. And I think Crow says something like, "Are we in the same car?" <laughs> and the thing about that is that's a very funny joke, but it's making fun of the movie for something that the movie didn't do wrong. The movie, if you watch it, I have it on Blu-ray. If you watch it on Blu-ray. They are in the same car. It's bad panning and scanning, and they don't. So when we talk about, you can see their pants. This is not a fault of the show. It's a fault of the um, whoever did the framing and such for the DVD. And so it's nothing to do with the show. It's not us making fun of the show. Although they, you know, it is fun to talk about the kind of what they're wearing. You know, yes. So. I, I I like to bring that up because. Sometimes you get that with like mystery science theater fans, and I'm a fan where they they will make fun of something that isn't like they'll edit out a scene from the movie that was like objectionable, and then they'll make fun of the movie for not making sense. And you'll be like, well, you cut that scene out. That's why it doesn't make sense. And, but yeah. it's funny to watch. But so I just like to clarify because we don't get this a lot. I don't think we get a lot of half naked people standing up and you can see their pants. No. That's <laughs> it's special. It's special. It certainly wouldn't happen on Middleman because Middleman is widescreen. Yes. And um, and I don't know if it happens on Fresno or not. I doubt it. I don't think um, uh, Gregory Harrison always has pants on, just no shirt. So and he looks great too. So we got yes. A lot of, you know, if that's so. always captured quite lovely. Exactly. So so what else do you have on this one? I think um, I think I've covered most of what I had. So, I wrote side boob, um, <laughs> uh, um, pants, hot tub with oh, the princess. Yeah. Oh, I, uh, I write stupid the princess. Because I, what I love about her is that you figure that since she's on this show, she's gonna be always air on the good guy side, but you never know until just yes. that moment she wants you to know. Yeah. She holds power over us as well, because she brokers a deal basically with. Alan there mm-hmm. for you know part of the ransom money and that's why she kills in quotes mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Jake and Louie is so there's no witnesses and it, so she's playing him too and basically is um, in, in a sense getting him back for framing her by orchestrating yes. his own demise, in a sense, by setting him up to be killed later in the tent, which, mm-hmm. you know, good for you, sister. I love that. Yeah. I, I love that you don't let any man slide. Yes. Yeah, never she... never let any man, man be trash for you. Put him in the bin. <laughs> Put him in the bin. Put yeah. him in the bin. <laughs> Put him by the curb. I also love The guys too, will be when... by in the morning to take him away. <laughs> they... they, they you know, the mercenaries stood in for them. They loaned them, as Louis said, they loaned them their jackets. And there's not a speck of blood on them. The samurai, samurai really do good work. Yes, yes, 
yeah. Well, that was the thing. There, yeah, that was the the theory that they were supposed. To, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say something. I just thought of. Um, uh, I haven't seen uh, Kurosawa's Yojimbo and Sanjuro in a while with with uh, the best samurai ever in it. And uh, yeah, I would say that that would be. I don't know if I'd make a good samurai or a good ninja, but um, okay. Yeah, I'm not think, quite what about enough you? to be a ninja. Yeah. I'm not quite enough. I might be a decent samurai when it just comes to chopping things. I, I can wield a blade uh-huh. most of the time without hurting myself. <laughs> I, can, I mean, I guess I guess if I was dressed all in black, I could hide pretty good. The problem with, the problem with ninjas in most movies in like the 80s is that as, as much as they're presented as unstoppable, they usually get killed like in hordes. In movies, like they'll send in twenty ninjas, and like I think the the strongest ninja in the eighties was Lee Van Cleef in Master Ninja. Well, and he was like seventy and white. And and Lee Van Cleef. I mean, and Lee Van, true, geez. true, true. The bad, yes, <laughs> yes, he was the bad. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe if I was with a group of ninjas, maybe if it was like a team building exercise. Oh yes. Maybe I'd be an okay ninja if it was like a group project. Well, there was a film, wasn't there, called Ninja Academy, which I think was a comedy. I th- oh, well, yeah, if you get to go to school. Like police academy. Yeah, and you would hang out and just getting wacky <laughs> ninja yeah. adventures. Uh, I don't, yeah, I I mean, uh, so so I think we, uh, um, maybe uh, maybe we'll do a sidebar on uh, ninjas and who who would you rather be, a ninja or a samurai? Samurai, I think, yeah. I, th- I think from now on, Whenever I have someone new or someone old on the sh- show or someone borrowed or someone blue, I will <laughs> ask them, which would you rather be, samurai or ninja? That's a good personality question. Yes, I like that from now on. This is where, this is I'm writing that down. <laughs> Written down. <laughs> uh, so, um, do you have anything else on this one? I, th- I think I've got, I mean, it's, a, it, I think it's an excellent episode, um, like we said, it sort of has um, a bunch of different things going on, and it's got some great Corky Corky stuff. And in the in the end, when it when you see Corky painting the goose, and the look when when Jake is approaching Corky at the end, and he has a beer, and Corky is repainting the goose, putting a little red paint on. The look he gives Jake is just great. Oh shit, this guy. <laughs> Look, just like, just leave me alone. Now I want to leave, and um, yeah. and sort of it's it's switched right here because now now Jake knows that Corky didn't do anything wrong, but Jake was kind of a jerk. But you can understand why because the goose is his livelihood. Mm-hmm. Um, but but still, they're best friends. So you know you gotta you gotta make it up somehow. So there's and and I do like that Jake in the very last scene. Jake spends about two minutes or so, maybe not that much, talking to Corky before he finally says, oh, you know what? The bad guy hit you with some ether and threw a bunch of bottles around you and sprayed you with whiskey. You didn't do anything wrong. And I like that he tries to he tries to do what Corky did mm-hmm. to, to sort of win him over. And then when he kind of can't because this was a tough one, he says, you know what? You didn't do anything wrong. Come on back, my friend. So. Yeah, yeah, because he can't imagine flying the goose without. Corky. Yes, yes, and the cooked goose is now okay again. He's been he yes. spent two weeks fixing it up because the clipper only comes every two weeks. So yeah, 
Um, and I'm just, I just have that scene playing here. That's a really sweet scene. Jake has his Duluth um, uh, uh, baseball shirt on, and Corky just, his face, like when he realizes he's been ethered, he suddenly looks like Corky again. Yeah. And I think he actually, his 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 clean-shaven face, he suddenly gets like a five-day, like a, a <laughs> shadow, you know, <laughs> you know. Suddenly he needs to shave again. I don't know how that happens. That's like an early digital effect. <laughs> Very early, like Westworld style early digital effect. But um, what what else do you have on this one? I think I'm 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 uh, I think I'm good. I, I just have a little bit of trivia. Oh yes, please. Okay, so the writer of this episode, and I'm not even going to attempt his name, Jay something. Um, he wrote 19 episodes of Magnum PI. Oh wow! And you were correct. Sandra Curry was in an episode of Magnum PI. Right. She was in an episode called Big Blow, which is one of my favorites. Oh, All star cast in that one. And um, our winning sumo wrestler, who did not get eaten by piranhas, <laughs> that was um, Professor Toru Tanaka. He was actually a pro wrestler, oh, and he was a tag team champion with Mr. Fuji back in the 70s. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, heck, so, yeah. that's um that that's got to be. I don't know that I'd want that job, sumo wrestling for because they don't pay attention half the time. Like no. when, the, when the guy falls in, they have this like I got eaten by piranha, and the princess <laughs> and her side boob weren't actually looking at me. You know, no, they didn't even see the demise. Well, they saw the carnage, just not they the. the carnage, they didn't yeah. see the fall. That great piranha carnage. God, I love good piranha. <laughs> Isn't piranha carnage some of the best? Piranha carnage is like quicksand. It's only because it's like it's underneath. You know, yeah. like, like you get you're getting pulled under, and it's 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 grab, there's um, what is it? The first show I I reviewed on here, Cliffhangers, um, the Stop Susan Williams, one of those um, uh, one of those cliffhangers ends with them in a boat trying to cross a river filled with piranha that has like a rope stretched out across it, and halfway yeah. through the boat starts to sink. So <laughs> the, and the cliffhangers, they all have to reach up and grab the rope before the boat sinks and they all get eaten by piranha and then they have to pull themselves across the rope and it's like it's the most Rube Goldberg cliffhanger you've ever seen but it's so good and it's like there's some things you can put I mean Great Heights is, are another but like piranha and quicksand you put those in there I'm in I'm in all the way oh yeah and and as a child of the 80s and you as well the you figured that quicksand and piranha were going to be bigger problems in your adult yes. life than what they actually turned out to be. Yes, yeah, yeah. As I've mentioned before, I only encountered quicksand once, and it was a small, small thing. It was a small. It was like it was like knee high. So it was like, oh, that's it. Jeez, I don't even get yeah. to. I don't even get to have someone like hand me a stick, and I have to pull myself <laughs> out. It's like I'm just stepping out of it. Um, and piranha never, never got there. But then I would have probably been eaten by cannibals or something before the piranha got me, if my Italian cannibal films of the 70s and 80s are anything to go by. Yeah. Oh, well. Oh, well. So next, the next episode up is Last Chance Louie, which sounds great. Um, mm -hmm. And so, so if, if you're, if you've, if you've, if we, are we done? Yeah, we're done. Okay. Uh, where, where can we find you online? Where are you? What's going on? Well, uh, you can find me uh, at akakikiwrites.com. It is the home of my podcast, Bookum Dano, an old Hawaii Five-O podcast. You can find me on my blog, kikiwritesabout.com. And if you want to hear me go on and on and on about my love for Corky and Princess Koji, you can do that by following me on Twitter at kikiwrites. Excellent. Um, so we are going to go from here. Oh, we're going to go to the uh, the second um well, the second episode in the third hour of Fresno, what's going to happen next? 
I've forgotten, but I'll know by time we get to this. Fresno, Episode 2, original air date November 17, 1986. Uh, this is written by Mark Genzel, Barry Kemp, Michael Petrini, all of them are. Directed by Jeff Blackner, again, all of them are. And in this one, it's more uh, more finagling, more more trouble for everybody between the um, you know the Kensingtons and Kane and all, all sorts of... It's, it's basically, they're still trying to get from Earl, they're still trying to get control of the water rights, because whoever gets control of the water rights can sort of shut the other one down. And uh, the uh, the brother, I forget the brother's name, is it Kevin? Discovers, uh, has been discovering what's going on with the toxic waste that his brother's been um, um, putting everywhere. Kane, Charles Grodin's character, has, I'm getting lost in names, get, has his brother arrested to try to keep him out of the way. And there's a whole lot of other stuff that goes on. And we're going to go in, in great detail into it. I could, I could literally do um, a five-minute... 10-minute rundown of everything. I'm not going to. I'm just going to give you the basics. Water rights. One of the brothers goes to jail. All kinds of crazy stuff is happening. Let me give you a little blast. We're on the other side. Fresno, episode two. Uh, This would be hour three of Fresno, everybody. As far as I know, it doesn't have a name. I saw people put... I I saw IMDb, there were names on some of them, but I, I don't know if those are actual names. They're not in the episodes as far as I know. But I could be wrong. We'll find out. We'll check. We'll check by the next one. We'll just be good, everyone. Be good. So the last one left with um, uh, the realization that um, seduction isn't going to work um, for Earl. So it will have to be money and Impalas. And I have here with me the great Kristen Hawes. And I'm asking you, Kristen, how you doing? I'm doing pretty well, Dan. How are you? I'm doing okay. What What did you think? So, so we did the first episode. And I thought, I think we thought the first episode was it introduced the characters well. It got all the exposition out of the way in 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 humorous fashion. It, it gave us all this great stuff, all these great plot lines, beginning all sorts of different craziness. Now, what do you think of the first sort of regular hour long episode of the show? Um, I really liked it because it it offered. Not only did it continue to offer the the humor that we have come to know and love after the the first episode, but also that we have uh, an ample number of plot twists that keep things interesting and keep the plot moving along because it does. It, the time flies by because there's a lot going on, but mm-hmm. it's not so much that you can't keep up with. And it, the story is really getting interesting. It's really taking a turn like the nighttime soaps, I yes. think. Yeah. Because you have you have Cain plotting against his own brother, mm-hmm. as Cains are wont to do, and um, you know you have the the other plot lines happening with you know Billy Joe in prison and Bobby Joe trying to get him out and all of that stuff. It, um, you have Juan forever in search of a raise. Oh, poor Juan! Uh, <laughs> yeah, poor Juan. So I mean. Yeah, I think I think it's I think it's a good episode. What do you think? I th- I think it really um, bec- because I know that the the um, 
like I said, this has a beginning, middle, and an end. This really, it advances certain things. Other things don't really go that far, but it goes, it goes just enough. It go, it goes soap opera enough. You know, it 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 does enough so where you get to the end, you're like, okay, that was that was satisfying, and also very funny. Poor Kevin. Um, yeah, <laughs> he. Uh, <laughs> he um, I I I I I love the way Kane first tries to get his brother killed using an incompetent killer at the dehydrating <laughs> thing. And there's such a great scene. It's such a great scene because they're at dinner and what is it? It's Kane, it's Kevin, and it's 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 um Bobby Joe. Cause she's staying with them yeah. because Billy Joe's in prison. And 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 uh, they get a phone call and it's someone telling Kevin to go to the dehydrator. It's like come to the dehydrator. And, and, it's and, Peter Laurie telling him to go to the yes, basically, yeah. And 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 Kane's like, "Well, aren't you going to go?" "Oh, no way. After they blew up that car, I'm not going anywhere near it." <laughs> "Well, you could at least be polite and go." And then it's great because Kane goes, and the the shenanigans you expect, the guy the Mr. Kensington, you got the wrong Kensington, and but he's in Nova Scotia. That was a great gag. Well, where is Kevin? He's in no, no, he isn't. And the guy runs away, and it's just like it's, I don't know where Acme hired his guys. I don't know where Kane is calling up his guys, but they're all hilariously incompetent. All the way, which is a joy because it means like, because one of the things with Dallas was that Jr. had this, I, I forget if he was an ex-cop or he was still a cop that Jr. would go to whenever he needed something done and this guy would take care of it. And it was always very efficient, very well done and whoever it was would get in prison or whatever. Here it's, it's kind of the exact opposite until Kane does something so dumb which is he just basically stands in a phone booth in the middle of nowhere and says, Kevin Kensington was involved in the killing. Uh, and, and, you, and, and the cops are like, okay, and they arrest him and bring him in. Like, These Fresno cops, they're ridiculous. <laughs> they're, re- they're really ridiculous. Uh, sort of one of the main uh, plot lines going through here is trying to get the money together to pay Earl. And the, so, there's some lovely shenanigans in a bank with a bank president who these people keep coming in and saying, do this important thing, I'll take care of it right away. And then someone comes in 10 seconds, I'll take care of it right away. And there's a great, there's a great scene in this where, um, cause we have, um, the, uh, Kane gets both, um, uh, Billy Joe and Kevin, the, the best lawyer they can get, which is, which is the public defender who keeps showing up late. And uh, and says there's one weird moment I think it's in the previous episode where she says something like, um, um, "I'm going to take this to trial," and you think, "Well, wouldn't you do that anyways? Aren't you the public defender? Don't you take stuff to trial?" It's again one of those weird jokes where I don't know if it's a joke or not. No, can't. I think the joke is that normally public defenders try to get their uh, clients to plead out. Oh yes, so okay. They don't go to trial. Mm-hmm. So the fact that she is taking it to trial is, is the joke. <laughs> so the um, there, there's a great scene where um, Kevin is thrown in a jail cell right next to um, Billy Joe, <laughs> and, and he keeps Billy Joe keeps accidentally confessing to the crime. But <laughs> there's a cop there. Oh, that's so good. That's that's so nicely done. 
It's very silly Bill Paxton is what that is. And then, then the moment where he's trying to get someone, he's like, how come every time I confess there's someone right here? But when I need help, I can't get anyone. And then the guard comes in, and as the guard comes in, he says something like, you know who we should have killed? And then suddenly the guard is right there. <laughs> so so what is what what is what I I I guess I'll go rather than jumping all over what what were some of your favorite moments in here are some of your favorite bits in here um cuz in the previous episode while Kevin is um preparing to scuba dive Juan is saying doesn't your mother have like is it her bedroom here and doesn't have a window here and couldn't someone sneak in and scare her and that's what he does in this episode is he sneaks in and tries to scare her with a gun into giving him a raise Uh, and (laughs) the problem is is this is after she's had her debacle with Earl and the failed seduction and so he comes in and and he starts with it and she goes Juan I can't deal with this tonight (laughs) But then she does a very uh, great, like, it would have been a great soap opera moment of go ahead and shoot me because, you know, that you can't even hurt me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you'll go to prison and your family will, you know, won't have any of the money that that's what you want. And then it ends with um, her saying she won't call the cops, but he's going to have to get paid half of what he's <laughs> making now because it was his greed that caused this. So his greed should be punished. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Juan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a Yeah, poor one. <laughs> that's yeah, that's a great that's a great moment. Um uh let's see. Um jeez there's it's 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 funny because in, in when we talked the previous one, we were talking all the characters and everything, and in this one, oh you know what? I just realized. And in this one we're we're discussing plot moments because all the characters have pretty much been introduced, but there is a new character who only appears in one scene and he has an outrageous French accent. <laughs> <laughs> and it's basically it's it's basically because this actor was a new heart and us a bunch of the people involved with this were new heart related. Um Torch and Tiffany are having uh uh, uh lunch and they're discussing like um they're they're both she's a full orphan, he's a half orphan and they're kind of <laughs> discussing orphany things they can do to help and th- this is where like in the pr- in the previous episode when charlotte says you know like you know what what we're torch says well didn't you ever think anything was suspicious not until now and in this one um uh he you know he says something like didn't you ever think about looking for your parents or finding out about them or or something and she says not until now and the waiter is peter scolari the great peter scolari who at that time uh was on newhart and uh, he, pl- <laughs> I don't know what he's doing with his French accent, but John Cleese's French accent, Monty Python, and the Holy Grail, was more realistic. And he's just hilarious. He comes in, and I'm, I'm not even going to do it. He just does this French accent where he's like, we have, and we bring out the fish, and we put raisins where his eyes were. And it's just, he's just, he's just, hyster- and both times he shows up, you're like, isn't that, isn't that, oh, I- <laughs> It's just this great moment. It's like if I think when you watch this when it was originally on, you would go, "Oh my gosh, it's Peter Scolari. Um But right, and I, that's what I did right now too. But it's just like it's just like one of those those weird moments that pop up throughout this miniseries where you're like, "Where did that come from?" You know, who 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 gave who where? You know, in the middle of this 
um, slightly because Torch is wearing a shirt for the first time, but it's unbuttoned almost all the way. <laughs> it's like I can only he can only do one. Because ah, Tiffany is like, I'm so thank you for meeting me here, and he's like, Oh, it's no problem. She goes, Well, I know they require a shirt, <laughs> and he looks pained. <laughs> he does look pained. Um, and uh, but but and, yeah, it's it's. It's, it's one of the things I really like about this miniseries is, is it has is it has the moments that are sp- pure spot on dead on parody satire of this genre but then like some of the best parodies and things like that it has these weird moments like the outrageous frac- French accent on on this the uh, Peter Scholar where you're like where's where did that come from and it's just like I I'd love to read a script to see if that was like, you know, they just had a waiter come by and offer them some food, but then someone was like, well, why don't we have him do it? And he could be ridiculous. Yeah, let's do it. Oh, yeah, because one of the things he's doing is talking about the specials and it's some sort of a fish, but they've taken out the eyes and replaced it with raisins. And so he's explaining this in that over-the-top, extravagant French accent that's so wrong. It's just even better. Yeah, and, and when he finishes describing the fish, Torch and Tiffany are just staring at him. And he says, I will, I will give you a moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. It's yeah, just it's... so weird and yes. unexpected. And you're like, okay, that happened, but it's still really funny. Yes. And it's, it's, and it, it's, it's, it's weird too, because at the, at this time in the, in 1986, in the land of the sitcom, we didn't really have a lot of actual... F- now, I never really watched because it was on when I had my Boy Scout meetings, Thursday evenings. I never really watched Cosby Show or Family Ties. So I don't... I know, And I know... And I know that a different world replaced Family Ties. So I don't know the humor level on those. I know Cheers... Definitely had its funny moments, and Night Court always made me laugh because it was naughty. And Night Court was like that thing where you know I get home from the um, Boy Scout meetings at like nine fifteen or nine twenty, and my whole family would have been watching the must see TV, the Cosby and Family Ties and and Cheers, and I'd catch Night Court, which was basically a lot of TNA jokes and things like that, which I just loved, and. And so, um, so I know at this point in in the land of the sitcom, things weren't in great shape. It wasn't until the '90s began, uh, shows like um, Seinfeld and things would begin that that show, things actually started to become sort of funny, laugh out loud funny again. So the joy of Fresno is you watch Fresno, and it's legitimately funny. It's laugh out loud funny, which I really love <laughs> and, and so so what so what else on this i mean the, the tricky thing with something like this is that uh you know in other in other uh shows um that we have discussed you have a few main characters and then like new characters coming in but in a soap opera it's the same characters every time just a slow development of the story so um what else do we have i mean we get um uh, we get Kane going to Mr. Acme to get $300,000. We get the shenanigans in the bank. We get the twist at the end. Um, we get we get um, um, Bobby Joe still driving around that bus. Uh, 
<laughs> yes. Which is just because all I could think from the, when we, she stole it in the first episode, I'm like, oh, she took the bus. Mm-hmm. Like literally she's taking the bus. And then, yeah, she because she's trying to raise money mm-hmm. to get Billy Joe the best legal defense that she can. And so she's singing. And so we get a couple of in the in both these episodes, we get a couple of uh, Bobby Joe songs, yes. which are very quaint. And country. Mm-hmm. Yes, very country. And um, some cop comes up because Billy Joe's been mad at her. He thinks that she's had an affair with Kane, and that's yes. why mm-hmm. um, she went to Bakersfield to to be in this talent show. She thinks you know Kane did that for her because of that, but he really did it to get her out of the way because he thinks she knows something which she kind of doesn't. No, she's she's very sweet but mm-hmm. very oblivious. Yes. And her uh, focus is on her, her focus is on her songs. You can tell at all times. Yes. So yeah. Yes. And so um she gets the word from a cop that Billy Joe Falling wants to talk to her. <laughs> she takes that bus and goes careening through <laughs> the streets and he like is leading her, I guess, and then when they pull to a stop <laughs> she hits the damn motorcycle <laughs> yeah. the cop was on. Yep. Sorry. Oops. Uh, and then she, yeah, and then you have the, the the next wave in their their relationship, the next bit of turmoil because she finds uh, out that Talon went to their trailer, and oh, Billy yes. Joe swears nothing happened, but she's not she's, too sure about that. Her her voice is so great because she has that kind of higher, I can't, I can't do it, but the higher sort of almost not squeaky, but kind of just a higher voice like. Uh, that isn't it. I can't. Do, I can't do. I can't do it. Um, but you, if you know the actress, you know her voice. And uh, but but you can tell as she's getting angry, <laughs> the voice yeah. gets. And I don't know if I want to say it gets like huskier, but it gets just a little darker. Oh, you saw Talon, and it's, it's just like it's just like oh, you could just like you you could just close your eyes and you could hear her getting madder as Bill Paxton's care as 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 as. Billy, right? Billy is is getting more like, oh, it wasn't nothing, honey. We didn't do nothing. You didn't do anything. You could just hear her getting angrier and angrier, <laughs> and you could see her as as they both have their hands on sort of the cage of the video. You could see her like her hands becoming claws on the, yeah. on the cage. <laughs> I say, oh, they're, they're they're one of those couples. From this point on, nothing's you. You get the feel nothing's going to go right every time no. they get together. Something's going to be off. And yet, and yet, you're rooting for them the whole time because they are they're the adorable. sweetest couple out of the whole out of the they're whole adorable. bunch. And she, you're, and, you're rooting for that true love. And 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 that scene, um, it, it's funny because you you get that the the scene where she's like in in the in the in the the square or wherever it is she is where she's she's just standing there singing her song with the guitar case open. And um, no one's putting in money, so she throws in a few dollars to make it make it look like she's popular. And mm-hmm. um, she's just singing her song, and it's it's one of those things where um, it's it's one of those weird scenes in a, in a satire where you the the song we're number one with a bullet, of course, is obviously <laughs> is obviously a joke song. But but the way she sings it, and the way the guy with like the Hammond organ or whatever comes up and says. You know, put, and it's just—it's such a sweet scene because she, 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 she's singing, and but no one can hear her. And then this guy who's nearby with like a little uh, his own setup with like an or, or Hammond organ and, and a mic puts the microphone in front of her and says, "You know, ma'am, just just sing, and I'll accompany you." And she's like, "Thank you, Mister Music Man," and he gives her a look like, "Okay, dear." 
okay, I'm going to go to the uh, I'm gonna go to the organ and play. And it's just lovely because um, she does this song, Number One with a Bullet, and a crowd assembles, and he's just taking some great solos on the, on the organ. And he's just, he's just right in the pocket with her. And it's just, it's one of those scenes where the song is obviously a joke song, but the scene is sweet. And so you're like, it's, it's one of those weird moments that you occasionally will get like a satire or something where it's like you don't quite know how to take the scene but you should just kind of just kind of go with it it's a sweet scene and she's lovely she may be a little silly but you know her songs her her songs i just kicked over my water bottle sorry her songs are her songs are no worse than um Jeez, I forgot to look up the Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, Mary Kay Place's character on there. I don't know why I've forgotten her character's name. But her songs are no worse than, than that character's songs. They're just these sort of average, catchy, sweet country western songs that you, you hear once and you go, okay, and you go on your way. And um, but it's 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 a sweet scene. But then of course the cop shows up and she gets in the bus and everything goes crazy again. But it's um it's it's lovely that because the stories that the show is te- the sh- the show is telling takes place over the course of one two three four six hours. Um, we we can have little pause, little moments like this, sweet little moments like this. So so what 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 else? I'm I'm just going to look to see. I think I think I've covered most of my my moments on here. But what, do you have any others? Well, um, Kevin um, going to jail because you know Kane framed him, claiming that he had environmental insanity. <laughs> environmental, yeah. <laughs> because yeah, because he said that he he it was actually a conspiracy. He paid Billy Joe to do it because he thought Ethel was poisoning the water, and it was environmental insanity. So of course Charlotte finds out about this. And she she goes to the jail to see to see Kevin, and she's like, "If someone had told me one of my sons would end up in jail, I'd have said it had to have been Kane." <laughs> but she's but she's like, you know, I won't let these people treat my family like this, and and you're not going to stay in in jail. She's and she tells Kevin, "I would sell my hats if I had to." <laughs> yes. And then she finds out the bail is $250,000, and she's like, are they treating you all right in here, son? <laughs> it's per- it's per- it's a perfect comedy thing where she gets so outraged, so outraged. She finds out, and everything calms down. Are they treating you all right in here? <laughs> <laughs> yes, because at one point she does, when she asks the bailiff what, what the bail is, she's like, she yells at him like she would yell at Charles. Mm-hmm. And she's like, bailiff, what's my son's bail? And yeah, so I just I like that whole scene because here she is, she's being that supportive, you know, motherly matriarch until mm. the price tag is a little too high, and she's just like, yes. "Are they feeding you?" <laughs> <laughs> and then it goes, and then it goes to that great scene at the bank, which is really, which I think is real is really nicely done, where where um, um, and and you realize it's it's the plotting here, I think, is really good. They've mm-hmm. they like they presented all nicely where where um, where uh, uh, Kane and then no Kane and then Charlotte and then and then Ty all sort of show up within moments of each other to get money for this that and the other thing and the ones depositing money and ones do that and want you to post it immediately and you know having worked in accounting it posted money I know that we post that that goes right in the account and there it goes here and it goes there and it's just it's it's really 
it's really nicely done, and it's one of those things where there's so much going on, you almost don't expect a scene that's sort of that tight, like where three mm-hmm. things happen like in quick succession like that, because soap operas are more like sprawling. So you don't expect a scene that's almost... It's it's not a slapstick scene or anything like that, but it's like sort of like the bank president is like... It all revolves around him. I'll take care of this immediately. I'll take care of this right now. I'll take care of this personally. And he does, and he, he does it beautifully, and he takes care of everything, and it leads up to the final scene where I guess Kevin is going to go free. We don't see him go free yet, do we? No, we don't. No. Um, and, and, suddenly, and suddenly Kane doesn't have his money. Um, uh, Tyler does have his money, but then the lawyers, and you know, it's, it's funny. I guess, I guess we haven't said, right. I mean, Cain must be named for Tyler, right? Um, yeah, that actually comes up in a later. Oh, does it? Okay. Okay. Stop (laughs) spoiling things, Dan. I, I haven't, I haven't gone beyond this episode in about 10 years. So I'm going to, and it's funny because too, like when the lawyer shows up, I forget the lawyer's name, but the lawyer has a name like. I'm Tom Kensenberg or something like that. And he has a name that's like similar to all of theirs. And yeah. so, so, so let's, so let's just go. And I don't mean to spoil it, but we're going to spoil it because Earl is about to get everything he's ever, ever wanted. A, a brand new Chevy Impala and $250,000. <laughs> but then would you tell us what the twist is? Cause I haven't mentioned it. The closing twist. Uh, the the twist is is that he can't sell anything because they haven't read Ethel's will. He didn't know she had a will. Yes. And she owns everything. Yes. So it doesn't become Earl's until they read the will officially. You know you know what? I, I just thought there's um uh in between I think season eight and nine of Dallas, I think, there was a three hour T V movie called Dallas the Early Years. Which told the story of Digger Barnes, Miss Ellie, and Jock. And it was a love triangle. And it's not soap opera. Well, it's it's not soap opera at all. It's kind of pitched as a grand epic. I would love to see Earl and his wife. How they got together pitched as a grand epic like that. Because I can't, you see the two of them together briefly in the first episode. And you think, how did this start? I mean, I think I think I'm, I'm going to stand by my thing that Earl was in the center of a place, and a world grew up around him, and this just happened to be the woman who was nearest him. Yes. And it became like, you want to get married? <laughs> sure, why, sure, why not? Why not? Let's yeah. do it. And they get married, and she loves clocks, and he loves. I don't. I mean, Impalas. Chevy Impalas, I guess. <laughs> you know, he's just like Earl is. Earl, Earl is one of those characters who. The more you think about him, the more intriguing he becomes. But I also feel like we're probably not going to get to know much more about Earl than we know. So I just I just would love, you know, Earl, the early years. Three-hour epic, Sunday night from 8 to 11. <laughs> it, it, would, it would have been, it's fantastic. It would have been fantastic. But yeah, yeah, so the, the whole thing ends with, uh, even, even though Kane... Charlotte took all the, most of the money out to bail out Kevin. Kane has another 24 hours to get $300,000 and get the water rights if Earl still has them. We won't know until the next episode. I think someone here has watched the next episode. I also think someone here hasn't watched the next episode in about 10 years. 
I'm not going to say who the, who is who here. But what what else do you have on this? I'm just watching. I'm just watching the bus pull up and knock over the motorcycle. I love that she she went from a Bakersfield from Fresno. That's not terribly. That's some hours. But um, <laughs> and I love. Yeah. I'm watching. I'm watching her run up the steps with her arms out like she's going to fall over as she goes up each step. Oh, Billy and Bobby. I hope they're okay. You know, at the end of the day, I just want yeah. them to be okay. Yeah, me too. Me yeah. too. That's that's the love I wish to survive. <laughs> that's a, that's a sweet love. So so do you have anything okay. else on this one? Because I think I think I'm good. Yeah, you know what? I just I think I'm going to be good as well. I just have one bit of random trivia that I know you will enjoy. Yes, please. <laughs> and that is so the the guy who played the bank manager and the guy who played the lawyer and I did not look up their names. I'm that lazy. <laughs> Um, but I knew them on site because they have both been in multiple episodes of the Golden Girls. <laughs> that makes that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Wow. We'll find out. Maybe next time we'll find out, or maybe we won't, folks. There. I don't think they'll be back, or they might be back. I don't know. But um, so so that's the end of episode two. So so we left it. It's. It's it's not really a cliffhanger. Cliffhangers at this time were something you did at the end of the season. You know, you had is did Bobby come back to life? Who shot Jr. Three seasons after that, you had who shot Bobby, thinking he was Jr. Or did they think it was Bobby, but they're making us think they shot Jr. again? And you get the dynasty. What is it? Um, the terrorist attack, the classic terrorist attack one. Um, and all kinds of great cliffhangers, but generally, uh, from day, from 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 episode to episode on a uh, weekly uh, primetime soap opera, ninety percent of them were Larry Hagman with a big smile on his face, wearing a big hat and would freeze frame. <laughs> so, so this kind of ending with Charles Grodin saying, "Well, there's a will, there's a way." Boom! There you go. So we're we're actually halfway through because it's. One, two, three, four, five, six hours. We've done the first three, so we're halfway through Fresno at this point. But the next three are individual hours. So, Kristen, uh, thank you, thank you for joining me for this first half of Fresno. And uh, what, what, what? Where are you? Where are you? Are you online or are you on the floor? Are you okay? I, I am both on the floor and online. Um, you can find me online at akakikiwrites.com. It is the home of my podcast, Bookum Dano, an old Hawaii Five-O podcast. You can find me at my blog, kikiwritesabout.com. And if you want to find me talking about Chevy Impalas, you can do that in real time by following me on Twitter at kikiwrites. Excellent. So that was Fresno Part 2, Hour 3. Next time we'll be doing Part 3, Hour 4. And... um. When we get to part four, hour five, crap, I just lost myself there. Part four, hour five, I will tell you the story of Dan, the football, and the grounding. I'm not going to say dun, any dun. more than that. Dun, dun, dun. But you got two episodes to wait for that. But so, so next up, we have some of this. Middleman, episode 10, The Vampiric 
Puppet Lamentation, directed by Sandy Smolin, written by Andy Reeser, August 18th, 2008. And sort of three main plot lines going through here. One is that Vlad the Impaler's possessions are being auctioned off, and the middlemen have to buy all of them so vampires don't return to Earth. Um, but unfortunately, they lose track of the one of the most prized possessions that Vlad the Impaler had, which was a ventriloquist dummy of himself which is possessed by Vlad and so they have to track down this 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 dummy middleman episode 10 the vampiric puppet lamentation thank you very much the person who's talking this episode with me because I forgot to write down the title I just have VP written down which helps no one Kristen how are you I am just biting to get it this episode. <laughs> How are you, Dan? You know, there are two things I love. Um, drinking the blood of the innocent and puppet shows. <laughs> so Thanks. let's let's get right let's get right on to this. Now we're we are unfortunately we are as as much as we love the show, we're where we are in the t- sort of tail end ish of the show. I mean, we're three episodes away from the end. Um but um, tell me, what did you think of the vamp, the VP? Oh, I love this episode. <laughs> this episode was a lot of fun. You do not anticipate vampiric puppets. No. And then you have vampiric puppets, and you're like, how have I lived so long in my life without vampiric puppets? Because they are amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get the bonus of an interesting little kind of B story with Noser and Lacey yes. and Pip. Mm-hmm. Which kind of, as always, dovetails back into our main story so well and gives you many things to talk about and think about. Yeah. What did you think about the episode, Dan? I, I think it's great. I, I love one of the one of the things I love. Well, first off, you have I had a sex dream with Pip, and then <laughs> but the moment the sex dream starts, you're like, that's not Pip. Oh, I guess it is. <laughs> okay, and. You get a great moment in it where um, uh, this sort of adds to the, the mythos of the show, which sadly will be done in two episodes, with the tarot card reading. Mm-hmm. We've got this this very goth gal, and she's like reading the tarot cards for Wendy, and she's getting everything wrong until she holds up something and says, like, young Noza will be torn limb from limb. Wendy's like, What? And she says, like, yeah, you, you spend too much time with your dad. And, you know, of course, her dad's disappeared or dead or whatever the hell is. You know, her dad is not there. You know, and, and so there's this this great um, this great tarot card scene, which is kind of almost like a, um, a weird, like, um, I think the middleman says later on, it's like like some, some part of your mind has opened up and, and something's, like, throwing stuff in there to help you. Because that's not something he did. That's not something Ida did. That's who knows where that came from. Because that's what saves the day. This weird tarot moment. And um, there's so much. There's so much great stuff in this. And there's a lot of. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's you know the Vlad the Impaler. He loved drinking the blood of the Ottomans that he impaled and puppet shows. <laughs> And you're like, sure, sure. And I, I adore the concept of the puppet, the ventril, the ventriloquist puppet that when you like put the put your hand up, it's you know the you know you you know when you put the hand. I, I can't. I, I don't know. I, I must have a better name than backside, right? I mean, 
I mean, surely that well, I'm going to put my hand up the puppet's butt and let's get the show going. You know, that's <laughs> I can't imagine Edgar Bergen starting off a two decades with Charlie McCarthy going, "All right, Charlie, let me get my hand up your pooper." You know, I can't. I can't imagine that happens. There must be a better name for it. And if it's something like Shaft or something like that, that's not a better name. <laughs> but you, just the moment you, you like put put the dummy on, suddenly it comes to life and takes you over and leads you. And I love that concept. That's a great, that's a cool concept. And, and the moment... At that moment where it raises its arm up and becomes a bat and flies away yes. with the guy, oh and, my it, gosh. and it doesn't fly, it doesn't fly fast. But they're just like the middleman and Wendy are just like so confused. But they're like, whatever. Because yeah, it's just the puppet yes. that, that transforms into the bat, and so it's dragging the human yes. with it up into the sky, like at a slow pace because humans are heavy, and they're yes. just staring at it. And I'm like, I can't blame them because no. I too would, would you... just look at that like. What the hell am I looking at? Yeah, it's it's like that's you know if that's if it's really doing that, I should we should give it this one, just this once. We're gonna let this one go. So, yeah. um, but there there's a lot of great stuff. There there really is because you get because you really you really get like an A a B and a C plot. You get the vampire puppet, then you get Noser, and then you get Lacey and her her uh, sex dreams with Pip. And of course, Pip is as much of a douche as always. I guess there are a couple moments where he's a bit less of a douche, but um, he's still mostly a douche. And then there are the great moments where they're um, they're they're in the car and he's he's quizzing Wendy on vampire stuff, and she, and yes. she gets a call she gets a call from um from Lacey, and just like when when the middleman puts down the book and he's like, she's going out with Pip. And, and just like his face just drops, and you just feel like, oh, I need, I need more, I need more romantic resolve here. This is killing me. And but then you get, but then you get Wendy given some great stuff where she's like, she's seen all the Hammer horror films, and she has the complete run of the uh, Tomb of Dracula, the Marvel Wolfman Gene Cullen, and I have half of that run in two big Marvel essentials, but I don't have all of it. So I, I can't say that I'm fully up to that. But uh, I love the questions he asks her on vampires are so... Like, uh, I would have known that, those when I was six. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it, there's a lot of fun stuff with vampires. and She's so excited to go kill a vampire. I think there's some great... Um, is it 420 already from Ida? Yes. And some great, <laughs> some great... A lot of great pot jokes. And um, uh, it's... It's... Uh, it's, it's um, it's a real and, and forgive me if you hear barking in the background. My my neighbor's dogs when we talk about vampires, crazy. <laughs> but um, but it's it's a it's a really I think it's a really fun episode that um, the 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 three plot lines do all dovetail nicely in the end, and um, and it's you know the big feature is Vlad the Impaler is now a ventriloquist dummy. Who would have thought? So what what else what else to throw out some more things you love about uh, the episode. Um the the reason why the the puppet was able to go out in the sun was shellac. Shellac. <laughs> shellac. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Um well we should talk cuz Noser has been missing for oh, a few yes. days. They don't they have he hasn't come by to drink their coffee. He hasn't been in the hallway. They're a little concerned. And of course Wendy gets the 
the tarot reading saying that he will be rent limb from limb, which preys on her mind. And Lacey, I guess, just to make her feel better because she thinks the tarot card reading is BS, mm-hmm. she says, I'll go find uh, Noser. And she ends up teaming up with Pip, who is also trying to find Noser because he wants the rent money. Yes. And since Lacey has had this sex dream about Pip... <laughs> You kind of get this interesting journey for them as they go through the building, like, interrogating people. And Pip accuses her of being a Pollyanna, and she lets everybody walk on her, and that's why they haven't found out any information. And so she goes to Joe 90, mm-hmm. whom, you know, he's already pissed off. And she's like, did I tell you I liked your sculpture? And he's like, really? <laughs> and then asks where Noser is. And she's, he's like, I'll tell you what I told Pip. I don't know. I haven't seen him. But then I'll tell you the truth. And yes, it's yes. That she he caught him on the surveillance that Pip has him do for a lower mm-hmm. rent because he yes. he doesn't want to do it, and he says all of this really rude stuff about Pip, which yeah. is totally accurate. <laughs> so we have this interesting journey of them going around trying to find Noser because yes. Noser has a big secret. It yes. turns out, and there maybe is a, a woman of Eastern European descent involved. Yes. Oh, gosh. Yes, which, as Wendy says, if 90s action yes. movies have taught us anything, yeah, it can yeah. be good. Yes, that, and, I, and I will say that is that that sort of began the A's, but that was definitely more of a 90s thing with that. So, yeah, for some for some reason, even though, like, the Cold War was 80s, for some reason, the East, the weird Eastern European women and stuff like that was more of a 90s thing. I don't know why, but she's absolutely right there. Yeah. Um, oh, and, and and there's always the things I, I love the moment where they're they're getting on Pip and Lacey are getting on Lacey's scooter, yeah. and he he goes to put his his arms like like you do on a motorcycle you know you got you you got to put you got to wrap yourself if you're in the back don't put your hands on my stomach he's okay don't put your hands on my legs how am I supposed to do this and then you see him like a little kid facing the other way like back to back <laughs> just kind of holding on. And it's kind of it's kind of interesting because she does she she really truly believes throughout that something is going to happen here that will cause her to have sex with Pip, and she and she doesn't know why and um and uh, and it's again this was on what ABC Family yeah and again I watch it I'm, I'm I mean there's the moment where was it Lacey goes up to the guy and says do you know where Noser is at the at the ventriloquist convention. Oh yeah, and, and, and it's and and the guy's like, "What noser is here?" Yeah, yeah. Do you know him? Yeah, I know him. And if I knew he was going to be here, I never would have shown up. Well, do you know where he might be? Yeah, he's wherever they give out the fucking medals, but they beat they beat the the f word, and, and you're like, "This is on ABC Family. What is this station?" And I, I, I like, and I, I don't know if I mentioned last time we talked and when I found this out, but ABC Family used to be CBN the Christian Broadcast Network in the 80s. So, which is where I used to watch Green Acres in the mid-80s. So it's very weird that they would have shown this show. <laughs> We're a long way from Hooterville. Yes, because I used to watch, it, it was for, uh, Monday through Friday um, for about a year and a half, 1986-87, when I was in um, middle school. 4 o'clock was Hazel, 4.30 was Father Knows Best, 5 o'clock was Green Acres. And I used to record Green Acres and watch and enjoy the other two. But then I found out that yeah, this this channel basically 
morphed, morphed, and morphed, and became ABC Family. I don't, I don't even know if that's a channel now anymore. I think it morphed. No, it's now Freeform, and they show like the 2018 Halloween on it now. Oh well, there you go then. Okay, all right, yeah. So it it was halfway halfway there with the with the show with a show like like this. I like the guy the guy after he learns he just throws his dummy in the garbage. Yeah, just like it's over. He's so good. Who cares? Yeah. And um, uh, so oh, may may I say um, there is there is an actor in this that um I uh I have met and that my wife is good friends with. Really? And this this gentleman named John O'Brien, when they show the footage of the man who used to own Vladdy being interviewed, mm-hmm. John John O'Brien is the interviewer, the one who gets attacked and starts screaming and falls to the ground and keeps screaming and screaming. Uh, the, oh, yeah, the newscaster, yeah. Yes, yes. He And he, you might also know him, he is, well, from a few years before this, well, around 2000 there's an X-Files episode called Fight Club the one with Kathy Griffin where she has a doppelganger and whenever they're in proximity they hate each other so much that anyone in between them starts fighting and there's an opening sequence where John O'Brien and another guy are like Mormons and they go to her door and as they're talking to her a car drives by and her doppelganger's in it and John O'Brien this guy begin kicking the crap out of each other. So if you've seen X-Files Fight Club, I think it's season 7, don't quote me on that. Mulder's in it, but it's later on Mulder's in it. Um um I think it's a Chris Carter written episode. Um it's he he's in that and I actually um my my wife's good friends with him. They see each other every once in a while. They used to be in a theater company together. I've seen him in Poseidon the musical which was the Poseidon Adventure made into a musical, uh, which was a lot of fun. And I forget, he plays the character, um, is it Jack Albertson, Shelley Winters' husband? Yeah. From Poseidon, she she and she, because the Shelley Winters character has a, has a song where, in the water, I'm a very tiny woman or something like that. You know, where she, because she was an expert swimmer. And she says she has a line like that, and and he plays, yeah, her. I forget the Jack. I think it was Jack Albertson. Yeah, um, it was he, Jack Albertson. Yes, and he he played that character, and um, so it was a, uh, it was. I saw him, and I was like, oh my gosh! And I said, to my wife is John O'Brien, and she's like, oh my gosh, it is! Wow! And then he gets attacked by the vampire, and he's just on the ground screaming, and it's it's great because they're showing the uncut footage. And it goes on and on. And when he says, Ida, could you turn this off? And Ida says, oh, it goes on forever. It goes on for ages. <laughs> um, but uh, what, what else on this one? I mean, because there is, it's, 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 it's pre- I mean, should, should we talk about, I mean, we're, we're going to spoil it, folks, because we have to spoil it because it's a continuing story kind of thing. But what did you think about the ending and the puppet Matrimony, the pet puppet wedding, yeah. That because the only way, because um, what the Vladdy puppet is looking for is the Lizzie puppet, which is mm-hmm. the puppet made in the likeness of his one true demonic love, mm-hmm. Elizabeth, somebody or other, and um, I'm sure she had a proper name, but um, they they get the Lizzie puppet because it's actually at Middleman headquarters. Yes. And Vladdy breaks in and gets it and bites the middleman in the process, which means that he won't be turned into a vampire because Ida makes him take the uh, vaccine or whatever. But um, he, the vampire knows 
his inner thoughts. Yes, and, in the blood. And, yes. And, yes, his son is blood. And so the only way that these puppets can come back as humans is if they get married um, on the arms of people, two people in love, and that other person for the middleman is Lacey. Yes. And he actually sacrifices himself to make sure that Lacey doesn't get hurt because the she gets tricked into putting on the Lizzie puppet. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so he ends up putting on the Vladdy puppet and leaving it up to Wendy to sort things out. But they end yes. up getting, getting married in a – why there is a marriage, a wedding chapel at a ventriloquist convention, I yes. do not know. I <laughs> – yeah, I don't. I don't. Um, I mean, that's an all-inclusive hotel, I guess, if, the, if our convention center, right? I don't like. I've never been to San Diego Comic Con, but I bet there's a chapel somewhere in there Probably. for two people who show up. And Captain America and Black Widow, they need to be married. They need to be married right now. Yes. Before anything happens. So. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's it, it's it's a really it's a really sweet moment when like they're and. And I, we, I don't think we'll give everything away, but there's a little something that happens when the um, when the sort of ceremony ends, and you're like, oh my gosh! And and but then Wendy, you with the help of Noser and with the help of the tarot card, which wasn't as evil as the voice made it sound, um, save the day, and it's just a, re- a really really lovely moment at the end where it's um. Just, just Wendy and, and the middleman talking and, and just being like, so, um, uh, so, so you, you and you and Lacey, huh? you know, in love. And he's like, well, I guess the, uh, the um, demonic puppet matrimony we just went through says yes, yes, we are. Yes. And and now, now in the now now I I may have missed something here because he says and again this we're spo- we're spoiling it, folks. We're we're spoiling. We're not, you know. Vlad the Impaler's puppet doesn't take over the world, um, but uh, we're sort of spoiling the dramatic part of it here because I, I think I think I think I think we sh- we should um, because because it's not uh, secondary it's it's a main thing. Um, but the so so he so so the middleman when he um, when Wendy says something like you know you you two you're the good guys you know you should be together and he says well there's someone else I love. What, did, was there something yeah. in the final scene? Because I, I, I watched it twice, and I was like, "Am I? Is this? I may have been watching it a bad print. Was it? Or was it just him sort of standing there thinking?" He was, um, yeah, he was standing at the Hadar thinking, and he was playing with the the wedding ring from okay. the ceremony. But yeah, he does he does reveal that he that Lacey is not the only woman that he loves. Mm-hmm. So another twist. Yes, yes. And the great thing is, your first thought is Wendy, and then no. I mean, I think it's obvious he does love Wendy, but in a very platonic way. Yes, yes, he would, he would, he would definitely, he would give her his life for her. But yeah, that's, that's not, that's not, uh, I I think he's too professional. Yeah. For, for that. Um, But yeah, it's, it's a. It's a it's a hell of a fun episode. I mean, it's loaded with so many great bits. Ida is very hilariously condescending throughout. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. At one point, she tells she Wendy's trying to to 
to or when he's talking about something and she's like, "Oh, look, it's trying to think." <laughs> yes. <laughs> I I mean, Wendy is um keeps herself under control because there were a few things when Ida spoke I would have thought well what can you do I mean Ida's you know you, yeah. you can't punch Ida or something like that because she she would take you down but um but it's um a lot a lot of great moments in here the um the moment where they go to the the auction and oh, they're like yes. pretty much we have to buy everything yeah and, and there's a the auction starts off with a door hinge a door hinge and he's and I, I forget how much it is but it's like uh, can we start with $800 and Wendy's like who's gonna do this and like everyone raises their hands and she's like oh rich people yeah uh, <laughs> and they and, but he apparently has a lot because when they get to the dummy he says we're running low on money and we only have 400000 left yeah so it's like where I don't think we're ever going to know. I don't think we ever no. learn where, where this this middle band organ. Where I forget, I forget the acronym of what the. Um, oh, it's OS. Yeah. Yeah. The organization that's so I can't even remember yes. what it stands yeah. Yeah. for. Yeah. But yeah, the boss station. Yeah. The boss. Yes. Yes. We're we're never going to learn what that is, but it's something like there's only one left, and we're low on cash. We only have four hundred thousand dollars. It's like, oh, okay, yeah. well. Um, uh, but there's there's a lot of great stuff in this. I mean, here's the thing, folks. There's there's fun. There's Vlad. The, there's a Vlad the Impaler puppet, a ventriloquist dummy. There's a crazy sort of like vampire lady ventriloquist dummy. At some point, Vlad has um, bitten several other ventriloquist dummies. Yes. <laughs> so Wendy's attacked by several um, sort of um, revenant sort of vampires, which are all like ventriloquist dummies on guys' arms trying to tag Wendy. And she One of them's a rabbit. <laughs> she's, she just basically just beats the crap out of him is what, is what she does. And um, it's so nicely done. You, you learn more about Noser. And and, um, and you you learn, I mean, you learn, I mean, I don't know, is it a spoiler to say that I, I don't think the sex dreams were about Pip? Yeah, I don't think it was a spoiler to say that. <laughs> I, 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 I think I think Pip somehow his he, he as as dreams will do sometimes you it's it's obvious what the dream is about, but then there will be a little thing to it where you're like, huh? And the no, the final the final dream that we see a brief moment of you're like, okay, yeah, that's the um. There you go. That's what that's what we that's what we that's what we were hoping. That's what we thought, and that's what it looked like yeah. when the first one started. So, and um, and uh, and they're they're kind of again for this being a family show. There's like the 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 second one where he kind of Pip kind of grabs her, clears off a table, and throws her down, and she's got like um like a short skirt, like a garter kind of mm -hmm. on, like in the stockings. You're like, hey, now I shouldn't have seen that. That's uh, that's a little much for ABC Family, isn't it? I I'm um I this must have been on after nine o'clock. It must have been, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it's uh, yeah, it's it's um, it's yeah, it's a heck of a, it's a it's a it really is a heck of an episode. Uh, do you have anything else? I mean, because we could we could probably say more of our favorite bits, but um, I would um, recommend you watch them. <laughs> <laughs> I have one more thing I want to mention before I get to trivia, and that is. We have a Renfield. Yes. And oh, he's yes. the guy that attacks uh, John O'Brien. <laughs> and he, the, they said that the, that was the boom operator ended up cutting off his arm. Yes. That's how he stopped it. 
but he's now in the John Seward home for the criminally insane. <laughs> there you go. Which I loved. <laughs> and the only way, because he was a ventriloquist, the only way they can communicate with him to get him to talk is if they do it like with hand puppets. So they're like holding their, their fist up and moving their thumb to yes. make it look like it's talking. And that's the only yeah. way they can interrogate him. I want to say that's uh, Senior Wences, who used yes. to be on Ed Sullivan. Hello, everyone. How are you? Yes. And I just, that's how they find out about <laughs> Vlad's imperative of finding the Lizzie puppet. But <laughs> it was just so ridiculous, especially when he comes and he, like, moves to sit over by Wendy. And so he's, he has his arm around her Yes. while he's doing it. And she's just like, okay, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm glad, I'm glad he... I'm glad he knew what was going on because we would have been in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine if that had been baloney and he was just making it up. Oh, <sighs> I do, and I do, I do, and I'll tell you, this is, there are a lot of great, I, I do love that moment that we already mentioned where um, Ida, we need to find the puppet. His name is Lizzie. It was a, uh, Vlad the Impaler's wife or whatever. It should be there. It's going to take you a long time to find it. Found her! <laughs> where, where, where is she? Uh, middleman bought her back in 1882. She should be on the eighth floor. Okay. <laughs> and then they go there, and unfortunately, vampire ventriloquist puppets can't be seen on security cameras. So he sneaks in. So I'll just yeah. I'll just leave it there. It's a it's a it's one of those episodes where I I actually none of these episodes I I just see the title and half the time the title. Uh, it's they're so wonderfully wordy that they just wash over me and make no sense. So I think with this one, I was just like, huh? And I just hit play, and I watched it, and I loved it. I had a great time. So if you don't have anything else, you want to go on to trivia. Okay. Um, my trivia, aside from one more idol line, I have to say this, and that is when yeah. Middleman is like, you can't rely on me. You have to go. You'll, you'll probably do this on your own. And Ida says, no pressure, hon. I fully expect you to fail. God love her. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, but anyway, trivia. So Steve Valentine played the auctioneer um, who ends up putting on the, the puppet the first time. Mm-hmm. And uh, it turns out he apparently played Dracula in Monster High the movie. So this was really not, wow. this ended up being his first turn as yeah. Dracula in a sense. Wow. And also, our Renfield was Rob Nagel. He also appeared in another comic book television show, he was on Batwoman. Oh wow! I've never seen, I've never seen Batwoman. I've seen the others, but I have not seen Batwoman yet. Yeah. So there you go. Yay! All right, so that was that was vampire puppet stuff, and it was a lot of fun. But in in the end, I think it's more about um, the true love, isn't yeah. it? Really, isn't it? I mean, true true love and fun. That's what life true, is. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly, and um, and uh, yeah, just just and ending with a with a fun party and um. You know, Noser is able to keep his secret, and uh, and Pip knows the secret, but um, <laughs> I don't. Spoil, Pip Pip basically has a security camera footage that shows that Noser is was a ventriloquist, and 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 in order to sort of get over the sex dream, Lacey gives him a huge ass kiss and steals the drive from him, so he can no longer try to, you know, go after Noser. So all is well in the world. Except for maybe some broken hearts in yeah. the end. Um, so let us um, let us take a deep breath because we are 
Well, we're done, actually, everyone. Let me let me play a little blast of something, and then um, we're going to wrap up uh, this episode of Adventure Super Train. Thank you again, Kristen. Where, where, let, I want to know, though, before I go, where can yes. I find you online? You can find me at akakikiwrites.com. It is the home of my podcast, Book of Dano, an old Yay. Hawaii Five O podcast. You can find me at my blog, kikiwritesabout.com. And if you want my thoughts on vampires and puppetry in real time, <laughs> you can get that by following me on Twitter at kikiwrites. Excellent. Here's a little Ellery Queen blast. And that's episode 138 of Adventure Super Train. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, what do we got? Where are we? What's going on? Episode 138. We are at E-Supertrain1 on Twitter. Eventually Supertrain uh, on Facebook. Uh, Danny Slacks, D-A-N-N-Y Slacks at Yahoo.com. And um, eventually Supertrain.blogspot.com. So that's that's the where you can find us. That's where you can get in touch with us if you, if you so choose. But next time we will be back and... Um, we will be, uh, well, uh, another episode of Tales of the Gold Monkey, the penultimate episode of The Middleman. And we're past the halfway point of Fresno already. It's a miniseries. So I hope you all are enjoying it. And uh, be good to yourselves. And I will talk to you soon. <laughs>